the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, number 292 for October 18th, 2010. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you write the agenda, you send in your tips, you send in your questions. We share your tips, we answer your questions. We have a grand old time here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here, Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. I thought you wrote the agenda. Oh, well, we assemble the agenda. but Assemble, they, they, assemble. You know, it's, it's, it's with their questions and comments, for the most part. Sometimes we throw our own stuff in. But uh, like, like uh, we'll start very briefly and just say that we got back from Blog World. I actually want to wait to talk about Blog World. I think maybe we'll get Chuck Latornis on the show and we'll we'll kind of make a, a little hodgepodge uh, discussion about Blog World Expo maybe in the next week or so here. But, oh, uh, OK, because yeah, it could be fun. You know, certainly could be. We, we had fun. We did. That was good. That was good. Travels or were, were your flights on time coming home, John? Oh, yeah. Oh, everything okay. was great. You, you got out before the rainstorm then. Okay, that's good. Jeff, a couple of people, yeah, the, it was one of the few storms that they get in Las Vegas. And when they get them, they get them good, I guess. It's like, yeah, it turns into like Randall Flags Las Vegas when it rains there. So I don't know what that is. Really? Stephen King? The Stand? Am I, the, I can't be the only one that knows who Randall Flagg is. Oh, it's been a while since I raise your hand Stephen if King. you know who Randall Flagg is. It's okay. I know you're driving in your, you, especially you <laughs> driving in your car. It's cool. It's cool. And it's not that cold out. Just wave, raise your hand, open your window, raise your hand. Cool. That's awesome. Thanks. All right. Uh, silliness. We have a lot of stuff to go through today. We've, uh, we've got stuff with routers. We've got a, a TiVo conversation that I think is probably uh-huh. going to monopolize some of the show as it turns out. But, uh, but we'll have uh, we'll have lots of other stuff too. We'll make sure the TiVo conversation doesn't completely monopolize the show. In fact, let's start with Joe and his uh, and his question or questions. After being a PC user all her life, my wife just purchased a new 15-inch MacBook Pro. Problem number one: folders or files placed into the Finder's sidebar disappear after restarting or shutting down the computer. I removed the com.apple.sidebarlists.plist file and restarted. I was surprised to see that the file was not recreated. The issue with items not staying in the sidebar was unresolved. I tried verifying permissions after starting up from the CD that came with the machine, but still no luck. Problem number two, I cannot get Bluetooth devices to connect to the computer. Devices can be seen during the initial pairing procedure, uh, the following error appears. The system extension system library extensions IO Bluetooth HID driver KEXT was installed improperly and cannot be used. Please try reinstalling it. After dismissing the error message, another message that states the configuration in Bluetooth software could be invalid comes up. I tried verified permissions and repairing the disk using disk utility after starting up from the CD that came with the machine. I also reset the SMC, but the problem persists. After telling after 10 years of telling my wife that Macs just work, I've got egg on my face. All right, well, let's see if we can help you remove that egg. John, you want to you want to start with this one? I'm going to start off and I noticed something while reading this that, that I want to bring up. But the very first thing is the sidebar. So I verified this. Now, we had speculated on this in a prior show yep. that when when you have problems with your sidebar, there's a, a secret prep file. And he found it probably because he listened to the prior show. Right. And it's com.apple sidebar uh, sidebar list dot p list which will be in your library or home directory 
library preferences is, is the one he should be. I, I don't think there's a system level one. I tried this. I was willing to take one for the team here. So I deleted the file, restarted my machine, and then what appeared, and, and the specific sidebar, at least in my case, was the places or, or the, right. the, the part of the sidebar, just to be specific, is called places. That's where you want to drag files, folders, whatever you want to access. Some of these can be set by, uh, in the system preferences. Uh, which one is this? Hold on, hold on. It's not uh, system preferences. I think it's no. I'm sorry. Preferences. Uh, no, you're correct. Finder preferences. So you go to finder preferences sidebar places. What you will see there are four defaults that Apple thinks are useful for you to set. Yep. So what you should expect, and what happened is when I deleted this file, and I had those four selected that are the default. When I rebooted my system, those were the only four that were there. All the other ones that I had created were gone. Then I gave a short gasp of of horror. Well, no, I didn't. Though I would have if I didn't remember to make a duplicate of that file first. Oh. And I think this is just general suggestion. And as far as I can see, it's it's sufficient to just do the command D duplicate, and then it creates a file called com.apple.sidebarplist. Copy, I think it was, or a copy. Yep. So that's what I did. So when I verified that this behavior, what you should expect is by getting rid of it, it'll recreate it. At least in my case, it did. But then I restored it back to the old one because I have a bunch of folders there. So that's unusual that deleting that file and rebooting, which he says he did, did not correct it. But the thing that I noticed when reading the question, Dave, that I just want to comment on right now is that he said he was trying to verify permissions by booting from the CD. Yep. I do not believe that is the correct. Although you can do it, I do not believe that's the correct thing to do, Dave. Um, In that I believe when you do the permissions if you do it from the machine that you're on it will use that machine as a reference for the correct permissions you know i think what happens maybe this is urban legend but i thought that's what happens is that depending on what you boot from that's going to be the reference for uh, checking or, or resolving the correct permissions i i think it's also got something to do with the library receipts folder on the other machine, right? So if, if you're trying to inspect permissions on a hard drive on, a, you know, a, a, another hard drive, or in his case, you know, if you boot from the CD and try to inspect permissions, I think it looks at the library receipts folder to determine what permissions need to be set for whatever's installed on that machine. That was my understanding of it. But, but I agree with you that the safest bet is to check permissions from the drive you've booted from, right? You know, so if you're having a permissions issue on your machine, do it right from there. Um, but yeah, I, it might be, or I, I, I honestly don't know if anybody out there knows definitively, um, perhaps somebody that's uh, one of you Apple store folks, that would be a handy thing for us to know. Definitively. Okay. That's just in the back of my mind is something yep. is that, so, so what you're saying is it may be smart enough to, when you're fixing a hard drive, go to the receipts folder on that one to use it as a reference. That's what I was trying to say. Thank you. Great. You crystallized my thoughts. Perfectly. Ah, well, we always do that. Okay. So that, so problem one is a problem because that's not what's supposed to happen. Yeah. And problem two is a problem because it too is not supposed to happen. Right. It, and what it tells me is that there is some corruption with the install, right? If, if the finder can't write properly and permissions aren't being fixed and, assuming that's even the problem uh, and also that system extensions are at best out of sync with each other and at worst possibly damaged. My gut on this one says, go get the latest uh, combo updater 
which at this point as at the, at the moment that I'm speaking is unless something's been announced in the last 10 minutes since we started the show is 10.6.4. Um, but check that, you know, go visit macobserver.com. We'll always keep you up to date on what the, uh, what the latest update is, but, uh, but the, the, put the latest combo updater, not the incremental updater, but the combo updater. And we'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes here for you too. Uh, that that would be the first thing I do, because that is going to also do a repair permissions and all of that stuff as you go through. That's my feeling. on it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that because I'm I, I did a quick search online and there it's not specific to the Bluetooth driver. Of course, this is whenever a kernel extension is is somehow upset. Right. And yeah, right. the first course of action is to try to fix permissions, though. And the second is to try to reinstall it. Now, of course, in this case, as you pointed out. That's a system one. So, yeah, what you said is absolutely uh, the, the path I would take as well. Cool. All right. I think it's time to move on to Santa. Yes, John? <laughs> I don't know if it's the Santa. You know, I just assume it is because it's safer that way. Because I don't <laughs> okay. want to offend the wrong Santa. You know, that's uh, so I'm just that's Dave, what I'm I got to I got to tell you something. <laughs> Maybe after the show, it, it may crush you. So I don't want to do it during the show. Uh, listen to me. I, and this was one of my brilliant moves of parenting. If you, if you're a parent of a child who's listening and, and you think, you know, where we're going with this and you don't want to go there with your kid, uh, go ahead and, and, and walk away. We'll give you a minute because, uh, because I, this was one of my brilliant moves of parenting and I am going to take us on a tangent. So a couple of years ago, I was traveling. I was in Austin at the time. And somehow the conversation of Santa came up with, with uh, the kids and my wife and they drilled her on it. You know, they had her like trapped in the car. They were driving somewhere and she just couldn't navigate out of the conversation. They said, mommy, have you been lying to us? Is Santa real? So uh, she explained everything to him. And then, and, and then that night my wife told me what happened. So I had some time to prep on this. So the kids, I talked to the kids next day and they said, we know. And I said, what are you talking about? We know. My daughter says, we know. We know about Santa. And I said, what do you, what is it that you know? And she said, well, we know that, uh, you know, he's not real and that he's you. And, uh, and I said, well, I, I don't know. I, I said, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I said, I believe in Santa. And every Christmas morning I come down and there's gifts from Santa for, for me as well as the rest of the family under the tree. Cause there's always gifts from Santa for the, you know, for the family. And my daughter says, now, wait a minute. What are you saying to me? I said, well, I, I'm saying exactly what I, what, what you just heard. And she says, so if I don't believe in Santa, those gifts won't appear. I said, well, it certainly sounds like that. And I, there was a pause and she's like, <laughs> dang it. And I told, what I told her was, and this, and you can use this. This is a, a pro tip for life here is what I, what I told her was the only thing that has happened is the choice as to whether or not you believe in Santa, the burden for that choice has shifted from your mother and I to you. So you now have the burden of that choice uh, for yourself, just as I have it for myself. And I told her, I said, I choose to believe. And again, there was a pause and she says, yeah, I believe in Santa too. And that's it. And we're good to go. It's, it's been like that for years and there's no more discussion about it. So that's how it works. Yeah. I, I I figured it out too, but I won't go into detail because we got to answer the question. And what's the question? Oh yeah, that's right. So Santa writes, because I believe in Santa. So we're going to answer his question. And John, I remember you using the iFi card. I am thinking of using one on the Santa set this season, planning of using it in to send files to the iMac for printing. Does the iFi and iMac need an internet connection to work? 
or will the iFi simply transmit to the IMAX airport card? There is Wi-Fi in the mall, but it is rather sketchy and not a reliable connection. Thanks. Keep up the good work. And of course, don't get caught and continue being good. That's right, Santa. You bet. All right. Go ahead, John. I'll let you take this one. You are Mr. iFi here. Yes, because I did a review and we might as well link to it. Um, well, I did a review of the iFi Pro X2 card. Um, in a nutshell, iFi is a SD card for digital cameras that has a small Wi-Fi radio that will send the pictures from the card to many different places. And one of them, Dave, is a computer such as an iMac that is connected to a Wi-Fi base station. Now, all of the cards up until the Pro series required a infrastructure base station or one with an SSID. And it would use it as a conduit to basically send it. Let's just say it had to be an infrastructure mode. And, and I think everybody understands what that is. Well, I'm going to contrast it to the other mode, which is what he wants to do. In the, and there's another mode, Dave, called ad hoc mode. Right. And this is something that I was actually, that a lot of people were asking for, these, for the iFi, because sometimes you may not be near an infrastructure access point. You may Correct. be in the middle of nowhere. But you think, gosh, you know, I have a computer. And this thing's a little Wi-Fi radio. Why can't they talk to each other? And they can. And there's a mode that is specifically made to do this, Dave. And it's called ad hoc mode. And some people may have used this and some may have, may have not. The iFi Pro card, and there's a Pro and a Pro X2, support an ad hoc connection. And what is that? Or you may be asking how to set one of those up, Dave. And I'll tell you one way to set it up here is that you go to your airport menu. And there's a little selection here, create network. And you give it a name and you give it a channel. I think you can require a password for some strangers, and I think it only lets you do a web password. Right. And then this is an ad hoc connection. Cool. And let's just suffice to say it is a point to point. It's a different style of connection. The card has to specifically know how to speak ad hoc. And when I tested this, it's marginally faster because you're basically going from the Wi-Fi card to the computer or, or it was the fastest connection I could find. Sure. And talking to people that use the iFi or a lot of uh, other photographers, this is one of the things that's specifically made for because you don't need the base station. And the other thing is the range isn't very long on this, so I, I wouldn't recommend that he tries to use it in an area where the, the connection's sketchy because he may not even get a connection. And it just blasts it directly into the machine itself, and you can just keep snapping pictures uh, galore without a cable or anything like that. So the good news is the answer is yes. Now, there's also this matter of an ad hoc connection. I don't know how much more we should say about that, Dave. I mean, this is certainly one situation where you connect. Yep. Well, it, one device. Yeah. The, the other, the other time that you would use an ad hoc connection, if you, if it wasn't just connecting two computers together for themselves is when you go and set up, uh, and, and this is actually important for, even for the iFi, right? If you go into system preferences and go to sharing and turn on internet sharing, you can share, an ethernet based or USB based uh, internet connection over airport. Right. And it creates an ad hoc connection for the airport share at that point in time. So if you wanted to use your iFi to get online via your Mac, you have to make sure you have one of these iFis that supports an ad hoc connection because that's what's being created when you do the internet sharing thing, assuming you're sharing with airport, which I think most people would be in that in that scenario. So, mm -hmm. yeah, because we, we ran into that problem. We had an iFi card that did not support ad hoc. One of the prior ones. And 
it would not work when we had the, you know, we had a USB based uh, sprint wireless thing. We were trying to use it with wire with the ad hoc and it didn't work. Of course, with the MiFi, that's an infrastructure connection and you're good to go. And any, anything else on that? Or is it, is it time to move on to the next? No, thing? I, okay. I, the answer is yes. It's, it's good news. So, so yeah, yeah it's good. That's it's good. good. Right. It's good. All right. Uh, our first sponsor for this show is circusponies.com with notebook version three notebook is a place to collect thoughts concepts, data, ideas about specific projects that you're doing or specific subjects inside notebook, uh, the application itself, you create virtual notebooks. And when you start up one of these virtual notebooks, it comes in with a blank lined white, you know, white, uh, blue lined notebook, just like you're used to seeing with the spiral bind and all that good stuff. You can use some templates. So if you want to use something to get started, they've got a ton of templates built into notebook. But the concept is you can start typing. You can organize your thoughts hierarchically. You can move things around. Then you can also bring in media files, PDFs, images, audio files, if you want, even movies, pull all these things into your notebook. And this way You've got all the data associated with whatever project you're working on all right in there. You could do recipes in here for a Thanksgiving meal and maybe even do a diagram of the table and all of this stuff. You could pull that all together right inside notebook. If you're taking a class or taking multiple classes, you could create separate notebooks for each subject that you're studying. And that way, pull in all the stuff. You can then go back and search and say, gosh, you know, I know two weeks ago. We talked about something that I really want to study. You can search by when something was added or modified in the notebook and have it bring you right back to that. Again, this is notebook from circus ponies. It is available uh, for a free trial. And then once you're hooked, it's 50 bucks. Well, it's actually even less than that. It's 49.95 us. And if you are a student, it's 29.95 us. So go to circusponies.com, download a copy, play with it. See if it's for you. If it is, well, there you go, forty nine ninety five. But you got to check it out first because you won't know. It's one of those things hard to it's hard to grasp whether or not you're going to use this until you try it. So go ahead and try it. My guess is you're going to have a good time with it. So circusponies.com. All right, let's move on to uh, let's move on to John. And the beautiful thing is John read his own question. So I get to take a break from talking. <laughs> Hi guys, this is John in Shanghai calling again. Uh, you helped me out last time a couple years ago with a network problem I had in my office. And uh, this time I've got a problem at home. Um, I'll describe the situation. Hopefully you can grasp what I'm dealing with. Uh, right now we've got three routers in our apartment. Uh, it's a fairly large apartment and uh, lots of walls, so it just makes life easier. Um, for simplicity's sake, I'll call them A, B, and C. A is connected to the modem. Um, going out to the wider internet, and B and C are operating just as uh, extensions or bridges. Um, the B router is broadcasting uh, its own SSID. A router is also broadcasting its own SSID. The C router um, is not doing anything. It's just acting as a, as a bridge. Uh, now, attached to the B router is a one terabyte uh, Western digital external hard drive that's got most of the media um, uh, that my uh, roommate owns. Uh, what we're trying to do is share that across the, the network to everybody that chooses to connect. Um, the problem is is that B is only broadcasting the SSID. Uh, it's very difficult. It's in an awkward location for anyone to actually 
uh, connect an Ethernet cable to it. For example, um, in my room, uh, I've got the C router, and attached to that is a MacBook Pro 17-inch. Uh, the problem is, is that when I have the wireless enabled and I'm connected to B, which is also connected to the one terabyte external drive, I'm able to see everything and stream the content, albeit some of it fairly poorly. Uh, when the wireless is not on and I'm just connected via Ethernet cable um, to the router, um, I can't see that external drive anymore. Um, I forgot to mention the B uh, router, which is uh, attached to the Western Digital, is a um, airport uh, airport base station. Um, so fairly easy to work with, but I can't figure out how to set it up so that over um, a over our network connection, uh, where B has its own SSID. A has its own SSID and C doesn't. Um, if there's a way that we can set it up so that everyone can see um, the media that's on that external hard drive, uh, I know it's a bit confusing. Um, if you'd like to ask me any more questions, all right. Well, well, I think you were about to tell us where to cut you off, and we beat you to the punch. Uh, okay, this made my head hurt. So I, <clears throat> I, and I've listened to this a couple of times, and you have too, John. I'm going to restate what I think's going on. And then we're simply going to solve that uh, as opposed to solving six different things and trying to guess as to, to what's going on here. So the um, step number one, we have the three routers. Router number one is connected via Ethernet to the cable modem. Router number two, I, I have to assume, is connected via Ethernet to the first router. And the reason I'm assuming that, John, is because I don't think you can have a different SSID if you're extending a wireless network. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. And I don't think. No, I, I think it, I think it has to be the same if okay. you're doing an extension. Right. So I'm assuming that routers A and B are connected together via Ethernet, and and if they're not, we actually will solve for that. But uh, but I'm assuming that, and then C is connected is an extension a wireless extension of one of the other two routers. And we're not sure which one that is. Okay. So my first question is why in the world are we using multiple SSIDs in the same house? My, my advice, and I think you'll agree with this, John is if you've got multiple routers, no matter how you have them hooked up to each other, and we'll talk about that, uh, but you have them all on the same SSID, unless there's some security concern or something because otherwise you're, you're connecting. I mean, you're, you've only got one internet connection. It sounds like you want everybody in the house to be able to talk to each other, regardless of what access point they're connected to set the SSIDs the same and do other, do the other things we're going to talk about. And then all of that just works. And that, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Well, no, that's my assumption too. My assumption okay. is what is desired here is, so we have three routers, and or wireless access points, or at least two of them are also wireless access points. Right. What I think the goal is, is that no matter which one of these you're connected to, he wants to see that drive. I'm assuming and, that is the, the real question here. That's right. And the internet. So, right. uh, yeah. So I'm assuming that's the goal, that no matter where you are, you want to see, you want to have the same functionality, which is, is internet, and I want to see all the stuff on that shared drive. Okay. So with that, here's my advice. Uh, and again, I'm going to assume that you have A and B connected with an Ethernet cable because for somehow that was facilitated. But if it, if not, 
then uh, it will just simply modify one parameter in my solution. So step number one is go get some power line adapters. I know I talk about these a lot, but man, it, it, it just makes life so much easier because trying to do wireless extension adds some variables that you can never be sure of. So go get some power line adapters. Now, how many do you need? Well, that's where this question comes in. You need at least two, one to connect to a, a router A and one to connect to router C to bridge those together with what I'm going to call a wired connection. It's going through your power wires, but it's essentially the routers will see it as an Ethernet connection. If router B is not connected uh, via Ethernet already, then get a third power line adapter and link them all together. The new power line, you know, the 200 megabit and even I think some of the 500 stuff is just starting to come out. All that stuff works totally fine with multiples on the same circuit, you know, the same in the same household. Uh, so that that's what I would do. Connect those up and then set a as the only one in router mode and B and C in what's called bridge mode. And, and that's what it's called in Apple's routers. And name the SSIDs the same for every network. Set your channels different so that you've got it spread around through the full 11 channel range. But uh, but otherwise, set the SSIDs the same. Then you don't have to think about it. Set security the same, too. Right. So you've got, you know, mm. bridge mode on B and C, SSID and security the same on A, B and C. And, and then life is just going to be good. It's I mean, that's what I do here. And I have a, a mix of some are connected via Ethernet. Some are connected via power line. And it's a beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful thing. So that's that's my that's my advice, John. Yeah. I mean, ideally, if I had to do this, so it says like A is the boss here and A mm -hmm. has to be where it has to be because it's near the cable Internet modem. connection right. or near the cable modem. We'll assume that 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 has restricted uh, sure. range. The way I would do it is either, Dave, and I don't think it matters which way you do this. So we're going to agree that A is the boss. Correct. B and C, I would if I could, and it sounds like maybe he can't, which could complicate things. I would plug both of those in bridge mode. Well, either, and I don't think it matters, I would either plug B into A and C into A Correct. if you can. That's what now I, I would think, do. Now, I yeah. think you can also, if you, really, if you have to, if you're limited whatever i think you could plug b into a and c into b you can i've done that the okay because they're both in bridge mode it, it's kind of like a virtual cable yeah except when b flakes out and then takes c offline Ooh. Hmm. Uh, good which, well this so. this is getting to <laughs> like token ring and star network and stuff like that. you're right. absolutely correct yeah i see what you're saying by by everybody plugging into a then they're not uh, c is not dependent on b i'm right. with you Right. But if you're going to do the power line thing, then it doesn't mm -hmm. matter because because that becomes its own switch. And now it's like all three are plugged into the same switch. So you're fine. Um, but then that's what I would do. I would, you know, connect A, B and C to uh, their, you know, LAN Ethernet ports to power line. And mm -hmm. you're, you're just done. We, we yeah. just said we just said uh, our friend Duffy. Hey, Duffy. Uh, we, did you shake? Did you wave your hand before Duffy? Was that you? Cool. Um we set him up with some power line stuff because he emailed me and he said, I need to move my microcell to a certain spot. And he said, I think I can run Ethernet cable through my, you know, mouse ridden attic or whatever it was. And I said, go buy power line. He's like, "Ooh, crawl around in mouse dust. Hundred and thirty bucks for power line. Pretty easy answer. And sure enough, that's what he did. And it worked. So. All right. And I think we've gotten through this one. Yes. Is there more, John? I think so. I, I would have preferred a diagram 
in this case? And I think it can also just in general, when you're planning a network help, whether you do it on paper or if you're one of the cool kids and you want to do it on your iPad or something. Um, but, but a diagram can, and it can help for reference. Um, you know, maybe not so much for a smaller network, but especially for larger networks when you want to figure out what's, what's, uh, yep. what's acting up. Yep. All right, John. But either way, see, without the diagram, we were forced to deal with an audible explanation. And if we had a diagram, mm-hmm. then you and I would have had to translate the diagram audibly. And gosh, we know uh, that would fail. So, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Um, I'm looking here. I know, I know there's some things we want to get to. Uh, all right, we, we can do John. This is a, this is a good one. I think. Dear John and Dave, thanks for all the great shows you've produced. I've learned a lot from them. My question involves my wife needing to sync her iPhone and iCal on her recently purchased MacBook Pro. When I tried to sync them earlier, it replaced all of her info on the iPhone with the blank calendar from the Mac, even though I had unchecked the replace information on this iPhone checkbox. Not a good situation to say the least. I was able to restore the iPhone from her previous Windows machine, and now she only syncs iTunes and Contacts. So what I need to know is whether there is a way to slurp the calendar off of the phone and put it into iCal. Obviously, I don't want to take any risk of losing what's on the phone, so I'd like a solution that allows me to look at the data on both before ultimately syncing with iTunes. Would using Google or Yahoo Calendar work? Or do I need to use a separate program like Missing Sync? Thanks for any help, and here's where you can cut me off. Cool. All right. Um, so this is an interesting thing. The first thing I would do, John, is plug in your iPhone and do a, a sync on it. And, and let it back up your entire iPhone, because that's going to save some data for you. And you can go find those backups. I think it's going to be in home music. I should have looked this up ahead of time and I didn't, but I think it's in home music, iTunes and it's mobile. It's somewhere in your home folder and it might be in library, but we're going to look this up and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll we'll make sure to report back. But uh, you find that backup and then, save it off somewhere so that you're not getting, you're not going to overwrite it. You're not going to have problems. Make a duplicate of this backup, uh, which is going to be, and maybe I'm thinking home library, mobile backups, but I got to find it. Uh, so back it up and then make a copy of that, save that backup off somewhere. I think your best bet is to sync at this point with Google calendar. Um, when you do that, it's going to ask you, do you want to merge the information on your phone or do you want to replace it with Google Calendar and you want to choose merge? In theory, that's going to put it all together. Syncing with mobile me will let you do the same thing. Or if you don't want to sync via the cloud, but you can sync via USB. And to do that, connect it to iTunes, go into iTunes, click on your device and then go to info and then Check the Sync iCal Calendars box. Again, that's going to do the same thing where it allows you to uh, merge the data with what you already have on your Mac. Uh, None of these solutions gives you exactly what you want, which is being able to see the data that is going to be merged. Apple kind of hides that from from us here. Uh, I tried looking. Missing Sync, I I don't think it's going to tell you exactly, but that might be an option. the calendar data is a weird thing on the Mac and, uh, and it's getting better now, of course, or has gotten better now that we moved away from the old 
kind of proprietary mobile me to the CalDAV based mobile me. But, uh, but that's, that's, it's still, we've still got sync services at the core and that's still a mess, but that, you know, get that backup going. And that's, I think that's the place to start. So thoughts, John. Yeah. I was trying to find the, where the file is located. I think I did. It's, I think it's, uh, Oh, this is for window, but I think application data, Apple computer, mobile sync backup. That's it. Oh, application, right. right? Library application support. Okay. Mobile sync backup. That's it. So home folder, library, application support, mobile sync backup. Each of those is a folder. Uh, And then you will see one device or one folder there listed for each device that you have. Um, If you simply make a copy of this entire folder, of course, you're safe. But uh, but that yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the way to do it. Uh, And I'm okay. I, I, I don't really like this as a location. I wish it would save it in my iTunes folder because I yeah. choose to save my iTunes folder on another drive so that it doesn't take up a ton of room on my Mac. And yet I have, you know, like a 10 gig backup of my iPad because I have a bunch of data and stuff on there and chewing up room on my hard drive that I just can't move. So that's, you know, yeah, I, I had a problem once too, where, yeah, it was, it was blasting the, the calendar with stuff in it with the empty one. When I think I did a reinstall the OS or something, yeah, it was kind of upsetting. So I guess it was worth, yeah, especially an iCal or something like that to uh, save it out to a backup every now and then. Yeah, so that's kind of what the backup file does. But yeah, that's what it, right. That's that's exactly what it does. All right, All right. Uh, this is this next one from another John uh, mm. is an interesting one. This is the show of many Johns. Uh, let me pull this up. This is an interesting little question. He says, about six months ago, I upgraded my fifth generation iPod with a 260 gigabyte hard drive and a new battery. It is awesome. However, that's left me with a 1.8 inch 80 gigabyte hard drive doing nothing. A month ago, I found a place that sells a USB case for the hard drive. I purchased one and installed it. The light on the front came on red, then green, but nothing shows up on my Mac. I went to disk utility and nothing is listed. So I plugged it into a Windows machine and only found it shows up in Device Manager disk drives. And then it's listed as a Toshiba MK8010GAH. So I know it's the drive. However, I emailed the case seller and got back the following. They asked if it was that drive. And if so, my hard drive is locked by Apple and I may contact Apple to unlock the hard drive first. I contacted Apple and they did not respond. I then asked several forums and if anyone knew how to unlock the drive. Only one responded and suggested what I already did. I looked at how many people had viewed my forum question. It was well over 500, but only one had replied to me. That says others have had this problem too. How do I unlock this Toshiba drive from within my iPod? Okay. So hmm. I, uh, I, 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 I did a little research and then I talked to the folks at tech restore. Okay. And tech restore repairs, Macs, iPods, iPhones, iPads, and other non Apple devices too. And so they know about the guts of these things in a way that, well, Apple does, but Apple won't talk about. Um, And what what Tech Restore told me was, yes, this drive does take advantage of, I think it's a standard ATA lock command where essentially you send a password to the drive and Mm -hmm. you say, nothing gets to talk to this without, you know, going down the right channels until this password is removed. And Apple does this for the iPod for various reasons. I think it's to keep the iPod from showing up as a hard drive unless we want it to. So the, but the, the right. key 
is the iPod. So what Tech Restore, what Shannon at Tech Restore said is he said, uh, put the drive back into the iPod and then open up disk utility, reformat the drive with disk utility. At that point, it will no longer be recognized as an iPod and then remove it and install it into an external case. So, so the iPod is the key, quite literally, to unlocking this. What he also said was he has not found a reliable external case for these things. They've, they've, they've found they're hard to find cause it's a weird ZIF connector. Uh, but right. right. You know, and, and, and even the ones that they've found are uh, in their estimation have not been reliable. And it's, I think a function of the connector, his advice was the best external case for it is the iPod itself. So, <laughs> you know, um, so interesting little thing, but you know, and there's the magic answer. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ziff is zero insertion force, but yeah, yet, yep. yet another crazy connector. Yeah. I found something similar and it, it accomplishes the same thing, but I, I think you may have to actually track down a windows machine. And from what I found, uh, like you did, Dave, there is an ATA command and, and I think there's two passwords. There's like a user password and a master password. And the, uh, okay. the, the article suggested trying all spaces or stuff like that. And I would say that, and, and people tried it, and I think, yeah, that, yeah, that this is why when he wrote Apple, they kind of laughed and ignored him because they'd have to provide this, I would assume, secret password. <laughs> yeah, for everyone, right. and they're not going to do that. So, uh, <laughs> no. yeah. So, so the iPod is the, is the way to go. That's funny, though. I mean, are these? Hmm. I, yeah, I'm just wondering if the, you know, are they inex? Are they low end drives? Uh, I bet they are. Why wouldn't they be? I mean, oh wait, 1.8 inch. Okay, that is a special form factor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, because yeah, what we have in the portable is uh, is a little larger. It's larger. That's right. All right, our second sponsor for this show, John, is GoToAssist. GoToAssist Express, actually. Uh, the idea behind this is that you can connect to someone else's computer with permission, of course. And the way it works is you have a GoToAssist Express account, and then you say your mom calls you on the phone or whatever. And you or you're talking to a client or perhaps a colleague, right? And you want to help them with their computer, but you don't want to play the operator game on the phone. You just want to take control. So but you you don't want to play the operator game at all, right? You don't want to have to walk them through all these hoops just so you can control their computer. And that's where GoToAssist comes in. What you do is you provide them with a URL and hopefully everybody can understand uh, what to do with a URL at this point, so especially if they've got an internet connected computer, which of course is required for, uh, for connecting over the internet. So you have them type in this URL or paste in, or even click on the URL. If you can send them an email and they go to the webpage, the webpage says, Dave wants to connect to your computer. They say, okay. And then bam, from your end, you're in, they can see what you're doing, but you can control the machine. Of course, they can stop you at any point if they want um, by a little red button, actually not so little that sits on their screen and you can turn it off, but it's great. It's uh, John and I tried it out uh, several months ago. And when the, when go to assist first came on as a sponsor and it worked swimmingly, we didn't, I mean, we just didn't have to think about it. It, it simply worked. Um, it's uh, it's a great re remote support tool kind of makes you look like a hero, which was frankly one of the best parts about consulting for people was being able to solve these problems and they get to watch it all happen. Right. They get to watch the magic happen. And it's from Citrix. So they've been around for a while. Uh, Mac Geek Gab listeners can try go to assist express for free for 30 days. Visit go to assist dot com slash geek 
Again, that's free for 30 days. Go to assist.com slash geek. All right. Um, should we have this TiVo conversation now, John? And then, uh, and then see if we come back to these other questions here. I'm going to let's. Yeah, I think it's a good discussion. Okay, good. All right. So, uh, we, 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 I, I alluded to some of this in a previous show and, and listener Dave picked up on it and has some questions and we'll take it from there. Hey guys, my name is Dave. I had a quick follow up to 291. Um, wasn't really directly related to what you were talking about, but at one point when you were talking about the DVD regions, um, Dave said something about streaming and stuff after he rips it to his TiVo. I was just curious, a general question for uh, Mac and TiVo integration in a home. Um, what programs or settings or whatever do you guys use to uh, to integrate your TiVo with your Mac? Um, currently, I'm using something called Stream Baby, which will let you stream um, folders from your Mac to your TiVo. But um, it doesn't let you do, like, iTunes and stuff like that. So I was just curious, do you guys have something better? And then uh, vice versa, do you have a way to pull stuff off your TiVo to back it up onto your hard drive on your Mac? Um, so anyways, this is where you can cut me off. All right. Uh, yeah. So this um, – uh, go ahead, John. Well, I think it's important to know – I just want to provide a background, though. Though sure. I think uh, – I don't want to assume everybody knows what TiVo is, but, you know, TiVo normally stores – well, it does two things. I just want to be clear because I think he's talking two different things here. So TiVo can do one of two things. One, it can download a program and put it on its hard drive, Correct. and then you watch it later. Yep. And he did ask about that. We're going to address that. The other thing that TiVo can do, which wasn't in the original product, but it can also now stream. And there are a number of services it talks to right now. And you may have heard of Netflix. Uh, there's Unbox. There's a whole bunch of them where... While they're downloading, it's essentially streaming, and you can watch it. So, so, so there's two distinct modes here, right? Um, just to provide the background, and then Dave, you've um, I've looked at some tools, but you've uh, you, you've been digging a little a uh, little deeper than I have. Yeah, we have totally rearranged our digital life and are using TiVo as kind of the hub for our, for our television uh, and for our entertainment system. Not dissimilar to how some folks would use an Apple TV, but of course we have some more flexibility because we're not dealing with Apple. And so we're not totally in a closed environment though. TiVo in and of itself is a closed environment and there are only certain paths you can, you can use to get into it, but, but they are published and accepted by TiVo. So you don't have to do any jailbreaking or anything like that. Uh, or at least we haven't. So yeah, there, the streaming thing is actually pretty cool. And, the way we use this is I have I actually have my Drobo connected to a Mac and that Mac runs something called Pi TiVo X, P-Y-T-I-V-O-X or Pi TiVo 10, I guess. Uh, and this is a freely available open source thing. It incorporates what you're talking about, uh, Dave, with Stream Baby and then also has its own uh, engine. What it does, and this is only for... I guess you can do music with this too. Uh, we use it only for video and we use something else for music, which I'll talk about in a minute, but you can point this at a folder and say, uh, allow this folder of data to be copied to or streamed to, or both to my TiVo. Uh -huh. And the only TiVos that support streaming are the series three, the HD and the premiere. So you have to have one of the relatively newer TiVos, though those have been around for a while. Uh, and what's cool is you navigate, you go to the main TiVo menu, you go to 
uh, music photos and home options or whatever. And then Pi TiVo X shows up there and we dig through and we find whatever we want to watch and we click it and boom, it starts streaming immediately. As long as it's in H.264 encoded or MPEG2 encoded. Um, if it's not in either of those forms, then Stream Baby and Pi TiVo X will actually convert it using the Max processor on the fly. Uh, so, it, you know, dependent on your network connection at that point and, of course, the CPU that you've got in whatever Mac it's connected to it. But what we do, is I, as I alluded in the last show, is we take our DVDs, we rip them, uh, we convert them down with Handbrake to be uh, MP4 files, and then I put those on that Drobo. And if I want to watch a movie, we just navigate through, we find the movie. I have them in folders by, you know, these are family movies. These are, I have the folder named adult movies, but it's really just, like, <laughs> it's not what, it's not what it sounds like. Uh, not. Yeah, but it's fun. I'd left it that way. Cause that way, you know, people, Oh, adult. I don't want to, you know, mm. just, hmm, people get really nervous, which is great. Uh, and, and, you know, so we'll navigate through. And what I had to do is I had to create another folder of, recently converted and unwatched because we started getting too much stuff in there. And it's like, Oh, we, we don't know, you know, cause we could buy a DVD or whatever and, and rip it and put it on there. So, uh, so that's what we do. And it's fantastic. It works really well. And then as an aside, if I want to watch one of those movies on my iPad, like I did on the plane uh, this weekend, I copy it into good reader on the iPad. I could also copy it into iTunes and sync it, but the problem is now I've got to have a second copy of the movie and it's synced with iTunes and it's all under that crazy control environment. I'd much rather just put it into Goodreader, watch the movie. And when I'm done, I delete it from Goodreader and it's still sitting on my Drobo and I haven't created six extra copies while I've traipsed it through my iTunes libraries and, and life's much, much simpler. So yeah, Pi TiVo X is a big deal for, for pushing to the TiVo. And, and actually that's okay. one, one other thing it can do is yes, it can stream, but it also, the TiVo, as I said, is capable of playing these H.264 files natively, uh, but you can't copy them to the TiVo natively. You, you have to push them. So you go in again to that same interface on the TiVo, and instead of saying play movie, you say push, and then it will. It'll, it'll push it down, and a little blue light comes on the front of the TiVo while it's slurping it down from your Mac, and, and then, then it sits in your now playing list, and you can play it without streaming it. Which could be handy, I guess, if, if you don't, if you're not connected to your, you know, your Mac's not on all the time or, or whatever. Okay. Now, the other option I've used, Dave, and this is, again, a category of sharing stuff from your computer to the TiVo. Yep. Is, of course, TiVo has something called TiVo Desktop. That's right. Yep. And it's free. Um, I, I don't think it's been updated for a while. I have version 1.95a, um, but it also lets you do a few things. So, one, it'll let you share your music from iTunes yep. and your photos, and it appears in the same menu that you talked about, I believe, in the whole sharing Correct. That's right. menu. And then, here's the little secret, if you don't know about this, you do, Dave, of course, but our listeners may not, is if you click on the pref pane and you hold down the command key. Is it command or option? It is command. I okay. just did it. Awesome. Well, it may be option as well, but the command definitely brings it up. You will see a third tab. So in addition to music and photos, you will see videos. There's a little checkbox saying publish my videos. It'll let you define a folder that it will look to to push things. And it also asks for the media access key, which I guess kind of is kind of like an encryption key. So it asks for all this. And then uh, from what I recall, Dave, if you put and here's the bad news with this, but it, it's good in a pinch. It's quick. It will only do MP2s. So if you put an MP2 into the whatever folder you define at some point, 
the TiVo will start sucking it out of the computer. And then when it's done, you can, it, I think it shows up in the now playing list along with any other videos. Right. Right. Okay. So, so that's, but I like, I like what you suggested better and I got to try it. I haven't you you got to, yeah, you just got to move to it. And, and once we adopted this, it took a little while, you know, for us to kind of get into the mode of it, but I, we haven't put a DVD in our DVD player in a long time. Uh, it, and you know what started this is Netflix because every third Maybe even every other DVD we got from them skipped and it was driving me to drink. Nothing pisses me off more than to finally after working like crazy all day and being a maniac all day and doing this and all that. And I just want to go chill out and not jack around with technology. I want to sit down on my couch and I just want to have it work. And I, if I get, you know, 30 minutes into a movie and it starts skipping my blood pressure screams through the roof and then the kids mm-hmm. wind up learning new words and it's just a bad scene. So, uh, so what we start and it was invariably these Netflix movies. It was like every time uh, the kids now know every time a Netflix movie skips, a unicorn dies, you know, it's like this terrible little thing. Uh, and we just got sick of it. So we just ripped the Netflix movies and, and that and I know it's wrong and all that stuff, but it's the only way to make the stupid things work. So it's their fault that we started down this path, but now we've ripped all the movies we own and have them in a library and we're totally good to go. Uh, so that's that. Mm-hmm. That's one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Galleon is another app. Now for streaming music, I actually like TiVo's uh, desktop app. My only complaint with it is after time, it starts eating up lots of CPU time uh, and Ram. Okay. It, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's flaky that way, but, but it nicely integrates with the iApps, which I think is the benefit of it. Exactly. Uh, Galleon is a third party Java uh, engine that will share this stuff as well. And, and works fairly well. And we actually have that running on our, on the Mac mini server that, or the, sorry, the, it's not a Mac mini server. It's an old G four Mac server, but, uh, it sits there and, and does it. I don't use it that often because we play music in a different way in the house. Uh, but but it, Dave, if you're looking for something other than TiVo desktop to stream photos and music and, and all that other stuff, Galleon's cool. It can stream weather. It can, you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so so that's that. And then the, the last to, an, to answer your last question, you know, how do you, we've talked about getting stuff to the TiVo, but how do we get it from the TiVo? And the thing I use for that is something called iTivo and it it's okay. It's it's got a cool user interface, but it's quirky. It's an Apple script studio application and it's flaky. Uh, It's just slow, but you got to understand is once it, you, you launch it, it's a little bit slow to slurp down everything from your TiVo. Again, you have to put in that media access key, which you get, believe it or not from TiVo.com when you log into your account. Save it somewhere. No. no? Okay. Can you, can you well, get no, it from you can, your TiVo itself? It's buried in one of the information menus. Okay. Yes. What, wherever you have to go to get it, once you get it, save it somewhere. For me, I store it in my Yojimbo library so that it, it, it's just going to live forever and I don't have to think about it. But uh, but yeah, so you know, you put that in and then it takes a little time for iTiVo to slurp down everything that's the, the list of everything that's in your TiVo. And then it takes even more time for it to process it, but it doesn't give you any indication that it's, it needs that time. So you might think you clicked and then nothing happens. It's just a little, it's quirky, but it works. And, and once you pick a show that you want to slurp down, you have all kinds of different formats you can pick from. And John, I think you've looked through those more recently than I have. I created a, a, a formula that works and I haven't even thought about it in probably two years, but, uh, 
you know, you pick a formula, a format that you want, and then it's also got a, this experimental open source uh, commercial skipping engine that f- works nearly flawlessly. Um, and and uh, as I've said before, I use that when I'm watching stuff. I, I wanted to watch Fringe, last week's Fringe. I watched it at home and I fell asleep through like half of it. I kept dozing and I wasn't really sure what it was at the end. And I knew I had time on the plane mm. coming up. So I slipped down that episode of Fringe. I watched it yesterday on the uh, on the flight. Uh, the flight out of Vegas. So, and, I, and it worked fine. And then I just deleted it out of Goodreader. So, yeah. And I think the only thing that you cannot pull off the TiVo Dave is stuff that is flagged as protected. Correct. And I don't think it even shows up in the menu, but I, I think the only things are, well, you know, of course the uh, major league baseball, how they, they feel about these sort of things. But I've seen the, the only things that I've seen that will not appear in that list are like sporting events for the most part. Any other content I have, HD or not, it appears in that menu. Actually, there's a lot of stuff. Cartoon Network protects a truck really? stuff. Yep. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. You can, in iTivo, you can turn the, there's a little checkbox and you can see what's protected and what's not. Uh, obviously, you can't pull down what's protected, but, uh, but yeah, you can, you can look and it'll, you know, if you uncheck that box or check that box, whatever it is, it'll show it to you, but it shows it kind of a red arrow that, or a red light that says, no, you can't. You can't get this. Yeah, we see quite a bit of it here. Um, and it's some of this stuff just doesn't make sense. It's a lot of like kids shows and, and things that you're know, like, well, if I can pull down fringe, I mean, you know, why? Why wouldn't you let me pull down family guy or, mm. uh, you, you know, the sweet life of Zach and Cody or something? There's this. I don't know. Whatever it is. It's whatever deals the network have cut a minor. Uh- a minor finger wag because I ran into this, Dave, and then, then we'll move on. But, yep. but I think it's important since we're talking about TiVo and, and TV and stuff like that. I had this happen, too. I had a Fringe episode where I missed it. And I also, yeah, my tuning adapter went on the Fritz. Not the TiVo, but the tuning adapter. Okay. So I wasn't getting anything. So I missed Fringe and I missed Big Bang Theory, which are two shows that I like. Sure. Fringe, no problem. Go to Fox.com or go to the Fringe website. And that's, that's why I got a you know digital audio cable for, and you know another cable for my computer. And I... It's one of the first times I watched it from the computer, and it was you know pretty much HD quality, and I watched it. The website was fine. I had to watch some commercials. I don't mind doing that, but it was replicating the TV experience. Yeah. Then I tried to find Big Bang Theory, and oh my gosh, what a mess. This is CBS, I think. What is yep. wrong with them? I went to Hulu, and they had four like two-minute clips of the funny parts. <laughs> Or I think other funny parts. Right. I went to their website, the uh, CBS website, and they had the same thing. Then I'm like, you know, maybe iTunes has it. I was almost willing to pay for it. Yeah, right. As far as I can tell, it's available in the Canadian iTunes store because I got a match. But then when I tried to see the buying options, it's like, whoa, 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 you're, you're, you're in the U.S., dude. We got to go to the U.S. store. Sorry, not available. It's like, what's wrong? Do you want people to steal your stuff? Oh. I, they do. I, I mean, that that's the message I get because as, as has been proven, uh, the the solution to people stealing your stuff is to make it easy for them to buy it. Uh, it won't solve it for everyone, but it'll solve it for or, most of us. Or viewing it with commercial content. Sure, either way. I, I right. was willing That's to right. do that. As it turns out, what happened, um, I hope I don't get caught, but um, one of my listeners, or one of our listeners, but one, one that I have on Twitter, yeah. um, and I'm not going to say who it is, but uh, he said, hey, you want me to pack it up and send it to you? I'm like, yeah, that'd be really nice. And as it turns out, I then were viewing commercials that were localized for where he is in the country, which is not where I am. Or she. We, we don't know if this was. Or, or she or or could be an alien. It could be another planet. I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, it, it, to me, it did a disservice because I, I was perfectly willing to, to view it with 
commercials and they offer no option for me to do that. So yeah. I had to be naughty or someone else had to be. And I thank the person that sent it to me and it was a good episode. So yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I'm with, uh, I'm with option two on what you just messaged okay. here. Uh, um, Michael, I think you, you want to do Michael. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let me find Michael then and we will move on. So yeah, any other TiVo questions, of course, let us know. But, uh, but that's, that's the gist of how, uh, how things works. Michael writes, the other night I got a call from my neighbor who has her first Mac and iMac. And she said that her computer was running very slow. I paid her a visit and it was not the computer exactly, but Safari when she would go to any website, she said that on her windows boxes, all was okay. So she said, but just on her Mac, she was having issues uh, and checking in. Indeed. I checked the Mac and it was slow. So I did all the basics. I deleted Safari caches. I reset Safari. I repaired permissions and I restarted. Even after all that, no success. Still slow page loads. So I looked in the Safari activity window and saw a bunch of could not connect to host server messages. Upon asking her who her ISP was and finding out it was Charter, I immediately thought it might be DNS. So I went into her network settings and changed it to open DNS's IP addresses and immediately all was up and running fast again. So why would this happen all of a sudden? She has no issues that I know of before. And most importantly, why just on her Mac? So, yeah, this is interesting. I have seen this problem. I saw exactly this. And, you know, I think I can't remember for sure, but I think it was back in Connecticut when I had Charter uh, where my. So that's the problem. It's Charter. Dump your ISP. That's. Yeah. Well, easier said than done, of course. (laughs) But yeah, there was something wacky about that. And I think it really was charter. Um, and, and I remember talking to him and saying, no, you're not, get, you're not understanding me. And uh, it might've been Comcast though. I don't want to, I don't want to point the, uh, the entire finger of blame at, at charter. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, I had two ISPs in Connecticut. I had a, a DSL with, with uh, Southwestern Bell or SNET or whoever they were at the time. And, and then after that I had charter and I think I, I really do think it was charter, but uh but yeah, move, using other DNS is the is the trick. Uh, open DNS is cool, and we've talked about that before, right? And you can do all sorts of great uh, filtering and customization. You can even create your own URL shortcuts for sites that you visit a lot. But uh, the other one that to use is Google for DNS because that's really easy to remember. It's just eight dot eight dot eight dot eight, and I use that a lot when I'm traveling. If something's screwed up, you just go into network. Uh, okay. ch- choose the device you're on via either Ethernet or airport, and then just plug in 8.8.8.8 in for your DNS and hit apply. Okay. Yep. And I'm going to build on what you said, Dave, because okay. there happens to be a tool out there that will suggest these DNS services. Okay. And what is that tool, you may ask? And I'm going to tell you, Dave. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> it's a Google project, believe it or not, called NameBench. I did an article on it a little while ago. Okay. And NameBench, as the name implies, it is a DNS or name server, uh, domain name system, I believe. Yep. Um, benchmark program. And it will go out. It will test against the DNS because normally in 99% of the cases, the DNS server that you're using is the one that your ISP provides. Unless you dig under the covers or you listen to Mac ECAP. Right. What this does is it will test both the DNS of your provider, but it will also, there's a little checkbox when you run it, and it'll say, hey, you want me to check uh, public DNSs as well? And Google is one of them. Um, I think there's Ultra DNS, and there's a few others, but it'll hit them all and look for the best performing one and then suggest to you which one you should be using. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, so that covers a. Uh, yeah, so so that's one way to solve it, Dave. Okay. 
and then another thing um well i'm I'll, I'll dive into this part of the question here but i i think the other part of the question here leads to what we're going to call dns caching dave and I guess the question is, where is this happening? That's how I'm going to open this here. And I'm going to offer one suggestion because it sounds like it was only the Mac. Now, as yeah, far as I can tell, except Dave. Except remember, I, and mm-hmm. I think it's important to talk about DNS caching here because that could be a solution. But I don't think it was a solution to this problem because he rebooted. And I don't okay. think the Mac's DNS cache persists across a reboot. I could okay. be wrong on that, though. So go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. And what we're talking about here, DNS caching. So there's two things you could do. And ca- caching wait is just minute, the concept. Wait a minute. I'm going to back up. DNS. Right. Let's talk about what that is. And very, very quickly. Ooh. All uh, right. Domain name system. Yep. And what it, what it does is all the computers on the internet, when you and I access them, we are accessing them by name. MacObserver.com. Apple.com. You get the idea. Well, those computers do not really respond by name. What the only way they find each other is by what what's called an IP address. And we've, I think at this point, we've probably all seen an IP address. It's things that are in four different octets. It looks like, you know, 17.241.8.37, those kinds of things. Well, you don't want to have to type that in if all you want to do is get to yahoo.com. So you type in yahoo.com and DNS or the domain name system converts from yahoo.com to that IP address. And we won't talk about all the inner workings of, of how everybody knows, but that's how it knows. So you need a good, reliable and accessible DNS server to do those lookups for you. Otherwise, you know, you're dead in the water like this woman was. So go ahead, John. Now. Excellent. Yeah. And now there are two ways that you could access this information. One is every time a program, whether it be a browser or mail program, whatever needs to look up something on the internet it will do a live query and that it will, it will go to the network. Um, this is one mode of operation that yep. then I'll get to the, and it'll go to a DNS and say, Hey, can you know, here's a number. Can here's a name. Can you give me the number? And it's like, yeah, sure. Here you go. And it's like, thanks. Okay. And then it goes out to that server. The other way you can do this. And this applies not only to DNS, but other things, Dave, is you could have a DNS cache. Cause when you think about it, I mean, if you're looking up and you're probably looking up some of the same things time after time, why should you always be stressing the network and the DNS server? Because it can it can fail if it gets too many requests. Absolutely. Why not cache that information and store it somewhere? Yep. And then when you look it up, rather than doing a live search, you take the last result and use that. And this will be called a DNS cache. Now, one thing I was thinking, now you bring up a good point about the reboot, but I dug around a bit, and OS X, buried within it, uh, what I was able to find is a command which is supposed to flush the DNS cache in the operating system. And what's that command? And I'm going to tell you, the command is dscacheutil, then a space. Uh, so you got to go to the terminal to do this, of course. So dscacheutil space dash flush cache. Now, if you want to learn some of the other options, like I think you can actually view some of the statistics about your cache, uh, you can do the man page for this, and you know it's man space and the name of that command. So that could be. Uh, I'm speculating that maybe not in this case, but in some cases the DNS because the problem is, as far as I know, the DNS cache. If it gets something, it, it'll cache. It may cache bad data. What one other thing while we're on the subject of DNS caching is that yes, the Mac has its own DNS cache, but Safari also has its own that that it manages. So. 
it's possible, especially right. if, and this is, it's very rare that you'd run into something like this, but I've run into it. If we're moving uh, domain names around and have different IP addresses, you have to quit Safari in order for it to relook up uh, a name. And again, it does this for speed. It's doing it to keep your browsing experience as fast as possible. It knows, well, this isn't set to expire for another, you know, hour at least. So no reason to even ask the computer for a DNS on this. I know what it is. I'm just going to go ahead and use it. So good point. I think that was a Safari five. One of the features they touted to help speed things up. So um, I think it's so, yeah. been around longer than that. Oh, okay. I, yeah. Okay. I think it's been since Safari, at least since Safari. Yeah. Long, it, it Years ago, I remember running into it and it no, was driving right. me crazy. It's, it's, all right. That's why I know. But, of course, yeah. the problem here is now you have potentially two caches that that's may right. have bad data in them. And then your router might actually cache DNS. And then that could be a third cache with bad data. It's, Thankfully, the DNS system is is pretty well uh, under control. There haven't been a whole lot of changes to it lately, though that may change. But, uh, you know, everybody tends to behave with DNS. But when it doesn't work, it's it's a big, big problem. Uh, well, I think they're all designed, including the operating system. Now, normally you may have just one address in your DNS field. Um there, there's redundancy built into the system so that if in either in the field on your computer or in the router or device itself, you may want to have more than one value. And what will happen is if the first one fails or you know it's a pretty catastrophic failure, like it's not even there, it the, the OS or the router itself will roll over to the next one rather than giving up. Well, yeah, it depends. It'll either roll over at failure or it will round robin them and just balance the load. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it depends on how it's all how it's all set up. So we just got back from Blog World Expo, John. Uh, I want to talk about Macworld Expo very briefly. Many of you have emailed me asking what's going on with the hotel deal this year. And it's been slow to bring this thing together. And I'm not going to point any fingers here. Uh, but it's been, uh, it's been a little bit frustrating pulling all this together. And part of the reason that it's frustrating is the place that we've decided to work out a deal with is the Intercontinental, which is where I stayed for WWDC. And we did a little deal with them then. Uh, and it is the headquarters hotel. Now, that's why we've chosen to work with them. It's a fantastic place to be. It is not the cheapest place, uh, but you are less than 200 steps door to door, same side of the street as Moscone West. It's a beautiful hotel. And uh, and as I said, it is the, the official headquarters hotel. But our deal is better than theirs. It, it, but it, Whoa. you got to bear with me on this. So oh. the price is not better. The price is the same. It's two fifteen a night, and the reason for that is because hotel room rates are negotiated to be lowest advertised, and so we can't advertise a lower rate than uh, than the negotiated uh, than the town has. You know, the city of San Francisco has negotiated. So, uh, however, our rooms are better than the rooms that you're going to get from IDG. Uh, so if you have booked at the Intercontinental and you switch to our reservation, you will get a nicer room because all TMO reservations until they sell out and they will, uh, will be upgraded from a standard room to a superior room. I stayed in one of these superior rooms for, uh, for WWDC. I'm getting a list of what the actual amenity differences are, but the reality is they're much bigger. They're corner rooms. Uh, it, my room was beautiful. I loved it. Uh, the, 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 well, the Wi-Fi was good, but it also had an Ethernet connection. The Internet access all week was fantastic. 
Um, the bed was really comfortable. The bathroom was huge. The room was big. It, you know, it was really, really nice. And when you're staying there for a couple of days, that that, that matters. There's also going to be some other perks thrown in. I, I, I I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna go to where they are. But maybe some coupons for some additional amenities at the hotel. We just haven't ironed it all out yet, so I don't want to I don't want to start throwing half things. But we've got a link. Go ahead and sign up at the link. Uh, you, you, if you sign up now, even if you already signed up, you will get to take advantage of these deluxe rooms. You don't have to change a thing as long as you signed up through our link. Um, and so we'll put that in the show notes for you, too. So I just wanted to tell you about that before we uh, before we get out of here. There will be an Thanks. article posted at TMO coming up uh, in the next week or so. Hopefully not quite that long. But I want to get all the details, obviously, before we can run an article on this. But I wanted to let you guys know first. Okay. Uh Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the best way for you to get in touch with us, answer your questions, or to pose your questions or offer your solutions or tips. And we love tips. Tips are good. You know, I like your suggestion, Dave, but but I would rather write to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Wait a minute. Did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com? Because I think you did. I most certainly did. 206-666-GEEK, which is... Four, three, three, five. And that's where you can call to leave us a voicemail if you don't want to attach an audio file to your email, which is, of course, welcome. Skype to MacGeekGab. Visit the show notes at MacGeekGab.com. Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast converts this to AAC for all of you, and I know you love that, so send some love his way. He could use it. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth. Uh, let's see. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and this month only. I know we talked about Gazelle last last time with the coupon code MacGeek that adds 5%. That code is only good till the end of this month. So uh, use it now. Gazelle.com slash uh, Gazelle.com and then MacGeek. Sell your stuff to them, and they'll give you 5% more using that code. All right. Uh, that's all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. You got anything else to add, John? Nothing. I'm, uh, I'm ready to take a nap. All right. It's nap time. Well, we're, we're shifting time zones, you know. Well, we should. First we were here. Right. Then we were. Yeah. I'm surprised I'm I think we're shifting speed. again in two weeks. We are? Well, for daylight oh. saving time ends. No. So have fun, be good, because that's what Santa said, and don't get caught. Made up.